We'll discuss Surah al Najm. This is a very uh, special surah. All of Quran is special. For me personally, this is one of the most astounding. Um, for if, if for nothing else, imagine the richness of the Quran and the depth. This is a surah that possesses very unique style and um, poetic rhetorical power. Poetic rhetorical power. When you hear it recited, it moves your heart. It moves your heart because of its poetic style and sound and beat. As if, as, if, as if the beat itself, the poetic nature of the surah and its vigor carries that meaning of vigor in it. So it's a sublime, very sublime surah. About very sublime meaning. It's a sort of aspirations for me. It's a surah that takes your soul to the highest places that Allah informs us we need to aspire to in our lives. For how else, or what is the ceiling of our aspirations? Surah the Najm is surah is a surah that is Mecca entitled the Star, and we'll talk about why it was um, entitled with this word, the Star, and the significance of the Star in the surah. But it it's a surah that came down to Rasulullah in Mecca at one of the lowest points in his in his life, one of the lowest. Once in his life, tragic times, after he has lost family members, he has lost his wife Khadija, he was rejected, he was uh, uh, assaulted, attacked, slandered in Mecca, you know, and the, the whole, you know, the entire elitist force of Mecca um, assembled their resources against Rasulullah. And all of that has taken a toll. When you're slandered, when you're a character, when you lose family members that were there to support you, such as, such as your spouse and, and your uncle, it feels the place of Mecca became narrower and narrower and narrower, right? No place to move. And emotionally, physically, he was just exhausted, tired. And yet, but Allah has to sustain him. From that lowest of places, Rasulullah would even issue a call to Allah, as we're aware in, in the story of Ta'if, after he went to Ta'if and called the people of Ta'if to Allah, because the people of Mecca rejected him, and he had a, he needed a refuge, he needed a place from which to operate. So he traveled to Ta'if, not that far from Mecca, probably an hour away from Mecca, and shared his message, and he went to spoke with the leaders, but we know the story. They also turned, not only turned him down, they insulted him. In that meeting, when he, when he informed them of his message, the, the three leaders of thought, they said, you, of all people, you, you're a nobody, essentially. If God was going to give his message to someone, it would have been somebody better than you, right? 
And if you really are carrying the truth with you, then, oh, we're not smart enough. They're mocking him. <clears throat> They're being um, sarcastic. Like, well, we're not smart enough to grasp a divine message, right? They're laughing amongst themselves at him. And once he saw that they were intending <coughs> harm upon him, he said, just leave me alone, then. let me go. <clears throat> and they wouldn't let, let him go. They sent the gangs of people to chase him out of the city and injure him physically. Injure him physically. This is the level of sacrifice that Rasulullah experienced and the level of suffering. And here he is uh, being chased out of the city. Imagine the humiliation. And he's injured in his feet from all the stones that, that were pelted at him. And he runs and runs for probably a couple of miles until he crumbles under a tree. Crumbles under a tree. Here's time of loneliness and I, fatigue, exhaustion. Imagine all that we're going through, all of our exhaustion in this life. Right? And here you are, where it seemed that the moment that everything has closed down on you, everything has closed down on you. People are against you. Life is against you. Nothing is working out. Where do you, where do you, <laughs> And looked up and he made a dua for Allah. And I always ask people to just go learn that dua. Go look it up. Google it. Dua of the Prophet in Ta'if. Ta'if and learn it. It's a long dua. But here he is saying to Allah, pleading to Allah, saying, Ya Allah, who do I complain to about you? I complain to you about my weakness. My, my exhaustion, my weakness, my poverty, right? And the scarcity of, my, of the means that I have, I have nothing. And here are people, you know, look at what they've done to me. He's, he's talking to Allah intimately. Remember Kamran when he spoke to my son and he said, just speak to Allah. I'll never forget that. You know, a beautiful message, Brother Kamran was telling my son, like, you know, just speak to Allah. My son is looking at him like, speak to Allah, right? Like, we don't understand that notion of, of, of being intimate with Allah, opening your chest up to Allah. You don't just say, Allah, give me this, give me that. No, no, speak of your pain. Speak of your exhaustion with trust and love for Allah. Allah appreciates that so much. And he did this. He did this. And he said in the dua, Ya Allah, if you're not angry with me, then I don't care. Because life has been very tough on him. It's tragic. He lost everything, including his wife, right? Who else is there for him in his life with all these people ganging up on him and scheming against him and intending death for him? They really conspired to even kill him, and he was aware of this. So he says, Ya Allah, if you're not angry with me, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I lose. It doesn't matter what I suffer. And here he is bleeding when he was talking to Allah. Ya Allah, all I ask for you is, all I ask for is your light. That light that, that, that shines upon the heavens and the earth. And afterward, what happened happened after that dua. Doors have opened in extraordinary ways. We're not going to be talking about the story of thought, but I take you to Surah Al-Najm. Surah Al-Najm came to speak about the greatest of the journeys that has ever occurred in the history of creation. The greatest journey ever, where Allah took Rasulullah from that lowest point in his life, from that breaking point, from a place where he couldn't even physically move, physically move, to show him and make him witness not only his heart, 
where he would disclose for Rasulullah his place in the in, in, in the highest heaven. His place. As if to say, if all of life has closed up on you, my beloved, if all of life has closed up on you, while the heaven is near, he took him up on the journey of Isra and Manamaj. To the highest point, he took him literally, brothers and sisters, Allah will tell us here, to the low tree, there is one tree that marks the highest point, the boundary point of the created realm. Imagine the created realm, right? It's not just this universe. It's multiple universes. It's the heavens. All the created realm. I'm not talking about material realm. I'm talking about the malakut, that realm that lies above the material world that we live in. Seven heavens, right? What's the highest point in the seventh heaven? The highest thing that Allah has created, it's marked by a tree called Sidratul Muntaha. There is one tree that stands at that boundary. Beyond it, there is no, no creation. There is what? Realm of Allah. Where did Allah take him? To that point. And he penetrated Mi'raj, ascent, to say the heavens have opened for you. Let me show you your place. Let me show you the imminence and the rank and the perfection that you possess and that you deserve. Because it doesn't matter what happens here. Didn't he say, Ya Allah, if you're not angry with me, then I don't care? Allah says, well, I'm not angry with you. You're my beloved. Then let me show you your place. And Rasulullah indeed witnessed it. So this is a surah about ascending. The imminence of Rasulullah the perfection of Rasulullah Muhammad it's a response to the charges against him. To those who said he lied, he invented tales, he invented the Quran, he invented this so-called revelation. They came up with total nonsense, ludicrous charges against Rasulullah that were based on nothing but doubt and ignorance and hate. Right? And Allah says in this surah, where would your idolatry take you? You're refusing the message of this man whom you've known to be trustworthy, truthful. So let's contrast this. This little contrasts. It contrasts the rank of Rasulullah Muhammad Sallallahu and what he witnessed in the journey of the Mi'raj, specifically the Mi'raj in the heavens. What he did, he witnessed there. And he came back with it. They're saying he is a man on, 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 on you know, who's delusional. All, you know, that his, the revelation came up with is an illusion in his mind. Right, that he's been misled, that he's been um, taking his inspiration from evil spirits. They come up with all kinds of allegations. Allah says, how can a man who's guided by Allah, guided by Allah and truth, make error? What about your way? And Allah contrasts the authenticity of the message of Rasulullah and the reliability and the dependability of his source. His source is who? Where does he take his knowledge and guidance? Allah. Imagine the creator of the heavens and the earth that he allowed him to witness is the source of this revelation. So Allah says in this surah, what about you? Sorry people on this earth. Sorry people. So Allah takes us in this surah to imminent places and gives us a glimpse of them. Literally, this is why it's such an incredible surah. Allah literally gives us a very small, tiny glimpse into the heavens, into what's called the malakut, vividly in this surah, 
Not only showing us the rank of Rasulullah Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi where he was taken so that nobody would ever dare to challenge him. Because he witnessed it. And nobody can say he lied. He's not a liar. What he witnessed was real. And then Allah says, well, what about this being your place of aspiration? Make sense? Because how else would we aspire? So Allah says in the surah, what do you aspire for? What are your aspirations? What is my aspiration? What is the ultimate wish and hope that I have? Do you notice what the wishes and hopes of people are? They're limited and bounded by what? Their whims and desires. Isn't it true? By what we experience physically, we desire material things. We desire uh, relationships with the opposite gender. We desire this. We desire that. That's what we desire. More money, more home, more this, more that, more children. It's limited by our physical desires. Allah says, let me take and raise Raise your aspirations. But how, how will you raise your aspirations if you haven't experienced something, if you haven't seen it, right? So Allah now elevates our aspirations to show us where we can be. How we can rise to that imminent <coughs> gives, us, gives us an experience of it in this surah. So it, it informs our imagination and our, and our wishes and even our dreams. So it's a sort of aspirations. People are not of the same level of aspiration, aren't they? They don't wish the same. And some of the wishes are derived from illusions. Imagination. Isn't it true? People can imagine things. Allah says, do you think anything that you imagine you're going to get? No. Just because I imagine that uh, I'm a king doesn't mean I'm going to be a king. But yet, idolaters, idolatry is nothing but imagination. So they've come up with gods. And they literally made them with their hands. And they said, these are gods. Allah says, you're going to just get what you, you know, your wish. You're getting just because of your illusion and your ignorance. You made something a god. You call this a god. It's a god. No, you're not going to get your wish. It's not a god. But how can you contrast somebody whose wish, imagination can only take him as far as calling a cup god. Look at the extent. Look at how short-sighted and ignorant. Can you contrast that with what Rasulullah taught you? That Allah is God. See the beauty of this surah? So Allah says, what you do here is nothing but name calling. You just call things what you wish and what you want. But that, there's no truth behind it. So for sure you're an error, and not Rasulullah. Then Allah in this surah, after this beautiful journey that seeks to elevate our wishes and desires for us to appreciate Rasulullah first and foremost and appreciate the source of this revelation, right? He takes us to a description of the code, a glimpse into the teachings of this beautiful message. The wisdoms, the jewels of wisdom, not only that were present here, but were also present in prior revelations that Allah revealed to show us how this Book not only elevates your wishes and your imagination, so that you can aspire to go to new places, the high, the sublime height of the heavens, that's where you belong, Allah says. You belong there. You don't belong here. You know coronavirus? People are freaked out about things. I talked to doctors about the flu even. It's out thousands of people, not just a few hundred. Yeah, it's a little bit more potent than probably the flu virus. But brothers and sisters, in the grand scheme of things, it's nothing. It's nothing. So a lot of people are hysterical because they're afraid of death, right? 
And that is all around us. We don't belong here. This, this virus came to remind us of our journey back to Allah. But there are many reminders. We see them every single day of our lives. Allah says, you belong there, not here. This is a preparation for you. Just as the experience of Rasulullah in Mecca when he was suffering was a preparation for him for Medina. And Medina was a preparation for him for what? His place in the heavens. All this is a preparation. All of it. So Allah shows us a cold, beautiful glimpse, a glimpse into some of the jewels of wisdom that when we subscribe to, when we believe in them, when we actually do them, concluded, concluded beautifully in the last verse. What do you think the last verse is? The initial part of the surah spoke about the sublime, glorious place that Rasulullah ascended to, the highest point. What did it look like? What did it feel like? Allah gives us a glimpse. How did Rasulullah Muhammad deserve it? Because he's the perfect creature of Allah. Allah made him perfect and he's the beloved of Allah. That's number one. But number two, in terms of action, what was he on earth? Abd. Right? Allah described him as a servant. Serve Allah. With humility, with sincerity, with devotion, with affection, Allah was the one for him. And because he put his head on the ground constantly and served Allah, from that point to the highest point, Allah took him. So Allah concludes the surah after taking us through these series of instructions, inviting us to learn wisdom from the divine source, because where else would you take it? From human beings and their illusions and their ignorance? He says, So worship Allah and do what? Do prostration. As if the end of the surah is going to qualify you to do what? To ascend and rise to eminence in the heavens. Let us, inshallah, dig deeper into this surah. This is beautiful surah. Allah begins it by Allah says, By the star when it tumbles or when it descends or when it sets. Now, Allah swearing by a star. There are many meanings and interpretations you know, about you know, over the meaning of this and why is Allah taking an oath by the star. You, know, you can imagine, first of all, that this, a star or the stars are a great object that Allah has created. It's a great creature of Allah that people uh, admire and, 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 and are astonished by. And the Arabs at the time were astonished by the stars. And they took their guidance and in, you know, in the night from the stars and the constellations, right? And they had nothing else but to look up. They were mesmerized by them. But unfortunately, instead of believing that there were creatures, that there, there were things that God created, they started believing that they had power, right? They started believing that they can bring fortunes and misfortunes. Isn't that what we do? Superstition? Where did superstition come from? Imagination. It's amazing what human imagination can do, do to them. Awful things. And by the way, when we start believing our imaginary thoughts, the false thoughts that the, the mind can come up with, that's what the Surah is talking about. False ideas that didn't come from an authentic source. It's nothing but women desire. It's just thoughts in our heads to justify our behaviors on earth, to just, just not want to be serious about anything, right? So we start coming up with things, even superstition, but it has no foundation whatsoever, right? And the Arabs of the time did that. And where did it take them? Did it take them far? It was very limited, right? Bear and my brothers and sisters, the realm, 
the dominion of Allah is inaccessible to us. For those who say, well, I believe in the Quran and Revelation, the, the answer is very simple. How else would you learn about a realm you cannot access physically? Think about it, right? Because they said Rasulullah is, is in a state of illusion. Delusional, right? Well, very simple answer. How else would you access that realm? There's no way to access that realm but through revelation from the one who made it. Because we cannot access it physically. So what human beings have done is come up with imaginary ideas about the next world that has no foundation whatsoever. So Allah calls our attention to that star. And here's what they said about that star. First of all, the star is glorious. And Allah says, إِذَا هَوَى Hawa means to descend, fall, tumble. When it sets, when the star is setting, when it disappears. You know, Allah, as if Allah saying, even that greatest of star that you admire so much has to descend and retreat one day. And recede one day and disappear. Out of humility for who? Allah And the greatness and the glory of Allah. And the glory of what? Revelation. That even that star with its glory has to humble itself as if it's prostrating. Because even Ibrahim when he was challenging people, he says, well, is, is the sun my Lord? No, 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 no. The sun is setting. The sun doesn't stay there imminently. Even the sun has to set. Isn't it true? It's a reminder that even the greatest thing that we witness with our eyes has to set and has to disappear. That even, that is even a sign for Allah And that the greatest of things that he has created is humble before Allah. Allah is telling us even the star is humble and is nothing in comparison with the glory of Allah, the glory of what? Revelation that doesn't disappear, it doesn't tumble. Rasulullah doesn't tumble, doesn't fall, right? His message doesn't fall, and the source of it doesn't tumble and fall, like the star. But also there's something else, else that is interesting about the star. The Arabs believed that there's this one star in the sky, Whenever it appeared in the morning, all the calamities disappear. They believe, really, that all the calamities would disappear as soon as it rises. But then what happens at the end of the day? It has to uh, disappear. And they were really worried about the misfortunes coming to them. Right? Oh, this artist said, right? Problems are going to happen. And they're waiting for it to appear again. So let's tell you, see that star that you think, you, because of your false imagination, you're thinking when it falls, Misfortunes happen. Well, guess what? You're wishing for that? Misfortunes will come to you. But what kind of misfortunes? The punishment of Allah. Further rebellion. Make sense? So the, the very thing they're looking at should have been a reminder for them all your misfortune. The greater misfortunes and afflictions are coming your way. They're imminent. It's the promise of Allah. Remember, Surah Al-Qur was about the fulfillment of the promise of Allah. You cannot escape it. You cannot escape that imminent place if you've earned it. Nor can you escape accountability before Allah and having to answer for your deeds. And this was, was, was something that the Arabs understood. So Allah's calling their attention to that thing they're looking at. He's swearing by it and then he contrasts it with Rasulullah. It is by that star that tumbles and falls, right? Rasulullah, your companion, your sahib, sahib is companion, your companion. The one who was born amongst you, that you trusted, that you believed, 
that you uh, entrusted with your lives and your possessions, that you call a sadiq al-ameen, the truthful, the trustworthy. You yourself believe in him. Suddenly he is erring. Suddenly he's misled. Suddenly he's delusional. Have you lost your senses? Overnight he becomes a liar. Overnight he becomes somebody who is a madman, who is who is a soothsayer, who is now believing in evil spirits. Suddenly you yourself attested to the fact that he was great. No, Allah refutes it. Allah answers these allegations once and for all. It's a surah to really honor Rasulullah. Allah declares at the beginning of the surah, assertion from Allah, your sahib, your friend, and he calls it a friend because you knew him. That means you are pure hypocritical people. That one day he's your friend and you believe in him for years. You trust him with your life and suddenly mm, he's a liar. That's madness. So your friend has not lied, has not erred, has not made an error, there's, and there's no defect in his intelligence, and he's not listening to evil spirits, and he's not misled whatsoever. Now, even the star has to descend and tumble, not Rasulullah, and not the revelation he brings. And whatever he speaks, what did they say about his speech? Well, they used to believe in his speech, but when he spoke Quran to them, they said, what? Oh, he invented it. Ancient tales. He reassembled things. Even to this day, people say this. Quran is nothing but a reassembly of, you know, amalgamation, aggregation of different things from different scriptures. Just put together. Somebody put together. MashaAllah, it's, it's what a brilliant, perfect mind that put all this together in so coherent. By the way, the more disparate the sources, the less coherent it becomes. You know when you mix styles? It's, you know, people who like plagiarize, like they're from so many places, you don't detect it right away. Because there's no consistent style, right? Allah says, whatever he speaks is not hawa. Now, what is hawa? Hawa, hawa in Arabic is air, vacuous air, right? It's, it's really like, you go through it, you feel it, it's there, but hawa, right? But how in Arabic is also women desire. It's vacuous, it's empty. Allah says he doesn't speak out of emptiness. He doesn't speak out of women desire. Like who? Like you. Right? So check your sources. The sort of also about sources. Where are you getting your guidance from? Where are you getting your information from? Is it your imagination? In your heart of hearts when you sit by yourself. Most of our actions and behaviors are emanating from thoughts. Allah says, what are your sources of belief? How can you derive an understanding about the divine realm from human sources? They have no access to it. Have you lost your mind? Allah says it's all your whims and desires. Well, this man doesn't speak out of his whim and his desire. In huwa illa Whatever he speaks is nothing but wahi. Inspiration and revelation from Allah. Inspiration directly from the source. The divine, the teacher of Rasulullah is Allah. The one who knows that realm because he made that realm. He created everything. So how can you take your guidance from anyone but he? He spoke the truth throughout his life and somebody is lying. You should start listening to this revelation. Allah says, well, start listening to this revelation because it's the thing that will inform you about the heavens and the earth, teach you about reality, Teach you about the truth. The only means for you to learn truth. And it's going to be something that makes you rise to imminence. That's, you know, the, the fools have lost everything. 
lost everything because of their whims and desires. And anybody who argues with this, gets away from it, gains nothing but the ceiling of their desires. Pay attention to this. Whenever we get away from something that takes us to imminence and charts a path to imminence to the heavens, what are we going to get? What do people seek? Nothing but their desires on this earth and the fulfillment of it. But here comes coronavirus. So you're enjoying your time? You're roaming? You're traveling on vacation? Going to Italy? Well, I don't know how many districts have been quarantined now in Italy. Quarantined. In China, quarantined. Schools locked up now. Communities locked up. Get it? Stay in your home. Show me how far your physical abilities will take you. We're quarantined within Earth from a what? Thing we cannot see. Unless that's the object, that's the limit of your imagination, your dreams. Little tiny vacation, you get home, and then a little tiny thing that showed up that you cannot even see, right? It's locking you up in your home. What a reminder from Allah. So Allah's telling us, this, this is it. The best you can come up with is a relationship with somebody, uh, money and this. Okay, these are means of earth. They're good. Well, unless they're pursued illicitly. But that's the extent. This is it. This is how, and then at the end of life, you're going to have to die and go back. This is it. This is what you've accomplished. Whims and desires. They don't even take us far. That's the amazing thing. So you're losing. We're losing. When we get away from a thing that elevates not only our imagination and aspirations and goals, but it's real. It's true. It'll take us there. So Allah says, whatever he's speaking to is what you have. Deliver to him. Then, Allah not only speaks of the purity and the truthfulness of Rasulullah and his perfection and his glory and his rank and the authenticity of his source, but also speaks of even, this is amazing about this, a unique feature, it praises and glorifies the one who transmitted the revelation to him. Who was that? So in ways that we're not done in any other surah, Allah doesn't just say, hey, Jibreel delivered the revelation to you. No, no. Allah now starts describing to the disbelievers, those who challenge the Quran, the beauty and the stature and the might of the one that Allah commissioned to bring that revelation to Rasulullah And you're saying that he's not trustworthy? Well, even his source, the one, not his source, the one, the friend of Rasulullah, because Jibreel is like a friend of Rasulullah The chief of the angels that was picked by Allah to carry this revelation. Allah didn't just pick anyone. He picked the greatest angel to deliver this mightiest revelation to Rasulullah Showing us that this is a big deal. That even the carrier of it to Rasulullah from the heavens was unique. So Allah describes him by saying, Allamahu he says, you know who taught him? From Allah. Well, Allah is a teacher, but who did he send to deliver this revelation? He says, the one who taught him is Shadid al-Qua, intense in power. Who is that? Jibreel. The interpretation is that it's Jibreel al-Islam, Shadid al-Qua, an angel of powerful stature, beautiful stature. Jibreel is so beautiful. His beauty is mesmerizing, captivating, beyond description. And his power, because his power is from Allah, is beyond description and imagination. That if he lays his wing, like uses the tip of his wing, he can flip a town, he can flip, a, he can flip earth. 
right? And Allah, the Rasulullah describes it as possessing 600 wings, mighty heavenly wings that sparkle with the ornaments on them. When he flutters his wings, there it's 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 sending off these beautiful sparkles of of, of, of jewels. It's an incredible creature that it cannot be described in words. Allah says that's the one that Allah commissioned to deliver this revelation. And he says, <laughs> he's full of vigor. Vigor, he he can move vigorously. How fast can Jibreel move? How fast can Jibreel move? Can you imagine? Even the burah that took Rasulullah Muhammad Sallallahu to, to the heavens, a burah, Rasulullah describes him as a, actually a small creature, right? Bigger than a donkey, smaller than a horse, you know. Um, and Rasulullah Sallallahu said that burah that Allah sent to him with Jibreel to take him to Jerusalem and then from there to the heavens, he says, wherever it lays its eyes, whatever it looks at, it's there. Right? So if this Barak just looks at the gazes at the moon, it's instantly there at the moon. That's the vigor, that's the speed with which it moves. Now we anybody who studied a bit of physics studied about light. And the speed of light, which is a creature of Allah. Because there are those of us who challenge these things. Oh, how can something look at something in just blink of an eye, it's there? How fast can information travel? Instantaneous, microseconds. You're talking to somebody in China. Isn't it true? Well, how fast are images of video coming, streaming to us? Microseconds. The messages that are sent to other stars. Seconds they're there. To radio waves and how about light? Light is traveling at 300,000 meters per second. 10 to the 8 meters per second, which is why. Three times ten to the eighth. Do the math quickly. I forgot. Three times ten to the eighth, which is six zeros. What's that? Three hundred thousand. Somebody out. It's early in the morning. Millions, millions, millions of miles per second. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how fast light is traveling? We know it. Who made light? Allah Azza. Who made you be Allah Azza? And we're saying that Jibreel cannot be moving that vigorously and the Barak cannot be moving that vigorously, that wherever they lay their eyes, they're there. And suddenly this powerful, mighty creature that Allah describes as so trustworthy and so powerful because he's carrying the message of Allah. Allah this describes, describes him with the, the expression do mirra. Mirra is vigor. Mirra is also like not only vigor of physical strength that allows him to move vigorously, and he's made of light. Remember, angels are made of light, so they must be possessing not only the speed of light, but probably greater, right? They're made of light. They move with that vigor, but it's also vigor of what? Intelligence and wisdom, of character and devotion, of righteousness, imminent creature of Allah Azza Allah is informing Quraysh because there's no way for them to know. How are they going to know? So when we hear Revelation, we should be happy. We're like, oh, let me just read. All I'm saying, just read and learn. Just learn. Learn from the one who possesses that realm. Because how else are you going to learn about Jibreel? And be honored by him. Fastawa. Then Allah says, that creature, that powerful, mighty creature of 600 wings, that can transform because of its vigor and ability itself from form to form. It doesn't just show up in its form because we're not capable of processing Jibreel. You cannot see angels. 
we are not capable of seeing, experiencing the angels of Allah in their, in their original form. So out of the mercy of Allah, He allows them to transform their form so that, you know, Rasulullah would even see him and not be shaken, right? But there are two instances in which Rasulullah saw Jibreel in his original form. It was during the time of the initial revelation, and some say no, it was a little bit later, a few days later. So Rasulullah he was in one narration, he was walking right after, days after the initial revelation. And he heard a call saying, Ya Muhammad, Ya Muhammad, Oh Muhammad, Oh Muhammad, and he looks up. And what does he see? Filling the horizon. Jibreel alayhi salam with 600 wings, overwhelming all sights. Filling literally the space between the heavens and the earth, Allah says, when he came down with his vigor and stood upright. Can you imagine? Can you imagine like a fast bird coming and suddenly it just stops? And he's looking at you. Little tiny bird, you'll be freaked out. Can you imagine now? Jibreel in his original form, coming, descending with his vigor, with his mind, with his 600 wings fluttering, and suddenly he just stands upright at the highest point of the horizon, looking at Rasulullah. Imagine, just imagine. Allah describes it with two words, but he wants us to pause and just put ourselves there. Just imagine ourselves right now, that angel just descending with his six We cannot visualize it. Rasulullah saw that with his own eyes. And he just looked. And Allah says, And he is there occupying, standing upon the highest point of the horizon in front of Rasulullah visible to him, and he looked at him. And then he did what? After the istiwa, after he stood upright there looking at Rasulullah, then he started to approach Rasulullah. Can you imagine the reaction of Rasulullah? Like, he's coming. He's coming. Then that is like, uh, you know, just, just approaching gently. He doesn't want to scare Rasulullah. Right? Messenger of Allah coming to him. He's approaching him, filling the space around, all around him, overwhelming him. Right? Something he's never, nobody has ever seen, nobody can ever see. We'll see that. May Allah give us that sight in the next world. Right? Of Jibreel that Rasulullah was delighted by. Tumadana fatadallah. Fatadallah is like hang, to hang low. So he started to approach Rasulullah. Allah knows in what shape, how he looked, and he started to descend closer and closer, then he started to hang, however he was hanging around Rasulullah But how close was he when he got that, when he came to Rasulullah hanging, suspended there in the air? How close did he come to Rasulullah in that encounter? He said he came to within the distance of two um, bows, you know, bow arrow, when you stretch it, right? The arcs, two arcs compose a circle. So he was within something as as far as, you know, the, the, the distance covered by two arcs of two bows. That's how close he was to Rasulullah. Can you imagine? Allah says he saw that and he encountered this. Who are you to challenge him and tell him what he saw, what he didn't see? Make sense? And that is the messenger that Allah sent to Rasulullah. The most powerful, the most glorious, 
of the angels of Allah. Then he got that close. What did he do? He communicated to Rasulullah Muhammad whatever he communicated from whom? Allah. That's how Allah communicates his message. That's the means that Allah chose to deliver the communication from the divine realm to us. And it was to Rasulullah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the heart is not light. His heart, Fuad in, in Arabic, there's Qalb and Fuad, right? Heart is referred to as Qalb and Fuad. When, when is Fuad used in the Quran? Fuad it refers to something that is, in, that, is, um, uh, that is intense, that is uh, uh, like boiling up, that has, that has intense emotions in it, so to speak. So when your fu'ad is, your heart is experiencing grief, um, in high emotions, intense emotions, it's described in Arabic as fu'ad, not qalb. When it's tossing continuously, changing from state to state, it's described as what? Qalb. Qalb in Arabic is that which turns. Fu'ad is that which is intense. So Allah says his heart must have been what? When you saw that, when you did qalb or fu'ad. Rasulullah said when he saw that, when he was experiencing Jibreel, was that Qalb? When he, Allah speaks of his heart, is he going to use Fu'ad or Qalb? Fu'ad, it's intense emotions, overwhelming, and it filled his heart. So Allah says that heart that was filled with this intense emotion at the moment did not lie. When it experienced it, it's not imagination. It saw that, it experienced it. Are you arguing with him over what he saw? Like you can argue with people over all kinds of things, but don't argue with somebody who's truthful, telling you, I saw that. I saw the crime. I went to California and I saw San Diego. I saw the city. I saw the cup of water. I saw this. I saw the sun. And if, you know, he's a person you believe all your life. Suddenly he's telling you, I saw that. You're going to argue with him even over... Look at how foolish they are and look at how argumentative and rebellious they are. They're going to argue with you even over what you saw and deny it. Okay, you can deny whatever you want to deny, but don't deny my experience. I saw that. And Rasulullah is not a liar. So Allah's asking a simple question to show them how rebellious they are. Are you arguing with them over his own account and what he saw? It doesn't, by the way, it doesn't affect anything. You can deny it all you want. It doesn't change the truth. And what he saw, He says, you know this man you're challenging? He saw that Jibreel in another place. Where did he see him? He saw him at another place. Where? Greater, more imminent, more glorious, more splendid place that he belonged to in the heavens when he took so Rasulullah saw Jibreel twice in his original form, only every other experience of Jibreel, every other encounter, was with Jibreel in a changed form so that it's like the Rasulullah He would come to him in the form of a man, just as a sound, as a voice, as a presence, but not in his original form, right? So the second time, can you imagine how much Rasulullah for years was aspiring to see Jibreel in his original form again? Because it was a glimpse one time. Then later, when I described at the beginning of the Halaqah, when Rasulullah was at his lowest point in his life, what did Allah do to him? He opened to him what? The doors of the heavens. They're always there. The heaven is near to you 
than you think. Then when this is narrow, Allah says, well, the heavens are open for you. Can you imagine how expansive and, and wide the heavens are? How much you can roam in them? So he elevated physically, physically, Rasulullah on that, on that journey of Isra and Mi'raj. Jibreel came to him at that point, lowest point when he was broken, right? Physically harmed, injured. Not too long afterward, he says, let me take in a journey. And Jibreel woke him up. Rasulullah was sleeping. And in one narration in his cousin's home, and in another narration around the Kaaba, Jibreel said, wake up. And he sees Jibreel and he's like, what's up? He's like, you're going on a journey. Where? You're going on a journey. And the Burak was there. And he mounted the Burak, and in a second they were in Jerusalem. Showing his work. What happened in Jerusalem? He gets into Masjid al-Aqsa, the destination, the first Qibla that we have as believers, and he saw all the prophets. And he was overwhelmed. And where did Jibreel take him? To lead the Salah. Let me show you your wrath, Allah said. Your wrath is not that you're a prophet. You are the chief of the prophets. You're the leader of the prophets, and here you are leading the Salah with all the messengers of Allah. So he showed him his rank on earth. What, what, what happened next? Rasulullah after he exited the Masjid al-Aqsa, he says, a stairway came to me, opened up. It was veiled. Suddenly a veil was removed, and a stairway that is more beautiful than anything I've seen appeared. And Jibreel held my hand, and we mounted that stairway, and it took us up to the heavens. For those, again, who challenge speeds, can you imagine the power of Allah Azza wa The power that he would be created a rocket. <coughs> the power that Allah gave us allowed us to create an engine, right, that allows us to be transported to the stars, and not the stars, the planets, for now, we're limited. We can't go that far, right? And even... Mars, it takes like maybe three years to get there. Three years. Imagine at 6,000 miles, speed of these vehicles, rockets, and like three to 6,000 miles per second or something. And it's three years. Can you imagine the realm of Allah? Allah says the lowest realm, this universe we're in, is nothing but a speck of dust, a speck like a grain of sand in the ocean or the desert of the second heaven. Can you imagine how many stars there are in this heaven? There are more stars in this universe. I've said this before, that there are grains of sand in all the beaches of the world. And we cannot even reach the closest star, by the way, not the sun. The closest stars, Proxima Centauri, is four light years away. That means it takes light four years to, four years to get to it. You know how far that is? If you're driving at 60 miles per hour in a car, Hope you have a good car. Can go that far. The closest star, it will take 50 million years, driving non-stop to get to it. But Rasulullah didn't go to the nearest star. He didn't go to Jupiter. He went to the highest point in the heavens in a blink of an eye. Power of Allah. Right? Power of Allah. So Allah describes that. He says he took him all the way there, and Rasulullah ascended through the heavens and he saw everything. You know Rasulullah. That information about the, the Malakut, the kingdom of Allah, wasn't just communicated and reported to Rasulullah. He got to do what? See it. So he came back to report this to us. We're going to be like, tell me more. 
tell me more. These fools lost. Lost everything. So it's our honor to listen to the Quran and to the reports of Rasulullah who saw that with his own naked eye. He saw Jannah. He got a glimpse of the hellfire. He saw the angels of Allah filling the heavens, prostrating to him. He saw the homes of Jannah being constructed by the angels. <coughs> he saw the Rusul, the messengers of Allah in the heavens. He saw Isa and Musa and Harun and Yusuf and Idris and Ibrahim in the seventh heaven. He saw Ibrahim leaning against a home, Al-Bayt Al-Ma'mur, resting. After that long journey of life, the fatigue, the pain, you're going to rest. Remember that place of imminence, Allah's taking you up. Allah puts us into that experience. He saw Ibrahim, Ibrahim was resting. And he had a conversation with him. And Ibrahim says, send my salam to your ummah. That's the beauty of that journey. We get a greeting from even our father Ibrahim. And tell them that Jannah is so beautiful, so sweet, so pure. And if you want to, to purchase property in Jannah, just say, SubhanAllah, Alhamdulillah, La ilaha illallah, Allah, or plant it, he says. You get more and more remembrance of Allah. That's the message of Ibrahim. And he says, I continue to ascend with Jibreel. And ascend and ascend beyond the seventh heaven, beyond the frequented house. Bayt al-Ma'mur until he took me with my hand to this tree. It's called Sidrat al-Muta. Sidrat al-Muta, Allah describes it here by saying, So far, Jibreel was not in his original form. And he's grabbing the hand of Rasulullah in that created realm up to the farthest point. How did that look like? It cannot be described in words. It's not a physical realm, it's beyond our imagination. Rasulullah was in it, And he said, he took me to Sidrat al and at that point, it stopped. And Rasulullah turned to Jibreel, and Jibreel was not in his original form. And it was not in his current form. He transformed into his original form at that point. And he looked at them, and he was in his original form. Again, that he saw on earth, but how did he look like? Rasulullah says he was different. He was so terrified that he looked like a worn-out carpet. You know, a worn-out carpet, very like thin, brittle, about to crumble. You know, imagine Jibreel that was described as this powerful creature with 600 wings, suddenly looked so brittle and thin, worn-out, terrified. Why? He reached the highest point, the boundary point of the created realm. No one can penetrate it. And he stopped there out of fear, he'll touch it. Like he's not permitted. And Rasulullah looked at him and he said, Ya Rasulullah, go through. Go through with that, by that tree. And he says, come with me. He said, I can't. I cannot come there. I cannot penetrate that point. If I penetrate, if, I'm, if I cross that boundary point, I'll burn. I'll burn. And if you penetrate it and you cross it, you're going to pass. And Rasulullah suddenly left, left, his, left his friend Jibreel and started to enter beyond that veil. There's a veil. And he entered that veil. And Allah says next, and then Siddhartha Mutah, he saw Jibreel, and then he says, by that, Siddhartha Mutah is Jannah al-Ma'wa, the paradise of the abode. It's right there. He rose to it, and then he says, if yaksha Siddhartha ma yaksha, that Siddhartha, that tree is, 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 is covered by that which covers it. What kind of an expression is that? It's covered by, and you're waiting to know, 
It's covered by uh, leather. It's covered by gold. He says, it's covered by what covers it? What did you learn here? Nothing, but you did learn something. What did you learn? Allah says it's covered by that which is which covers it. Now which covers? What does he say? You can never understand what covers it. Make sense? The glory, the splendor, the purity, the light that covers that tree is beyond your imagination. But Allah tantalized and pickled our imagination with one expression. What covers it is that which covers it. SubhanAllah, like, can I know more? Allah says, come, and you shall see. Rise, and you shall get there. Prostrate, and I'll take you to the place that Rasulullah was taken to. If yaksha sidrata, ma yaksha, and then he says, Then he tantalizes us more. So Rasulullah was inserted into that realm. What did he see? He can come back and say, well, I guess I saw A, B, C, and it looked that way, and can't tell. Beyond imagine, beyond the experience of any human being, right? You cannot possibly physically experience it. So Allah says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, لَقَدْ رَأَى مِنْ آيَاتِ رَبِّهِ الْكُبْرَى He saw from the signs of his Lord, what? The greatest. So what is Allah saying? All that we experience in this world are signs of Allah. The sun is a sign of Allah. The moon is a sign of Allah. You are a sign of Allah. The microbe is a sign of Allah. The virus, everything is a sign of Allah. They're incredible. These are signs of Allah's power. Imagine the second heaven. Imagine the third heaven. Imagine the fourth heaven, what they'll have. These are all signs of Allah. We haven't even seen. Sidratul Muntah is a sign of Allah. And beyond it, all these are not even the greatest signs. Can you imagine? Where are the greatest signs then? The greatest signs are in the divine realm of Allah, above the Malakut. And only one creature was allowed in that space to witness it. So Allah says, enough for you to know that Rasulullah witnessed of the signs of Allah the most glorious. Say, Allah, the sun is not the most glorious, the angels are not the most glorious of the signs. Allah says, no. There are even greater signs, more transcendent, that only Rasulullah saw. And you're challenging him, right? How many of us are just tantalized by this? It's like, how do these signs look like? What is it? Well, one thing for sure that we know is that Rasulullah did not see the essence of Allah. He didn't see Allah himself. What did he see? A self-disclosure of Allah. Only as he was still in the veil of Allah, the veil of the light of Allah. Why is that? We know from one hadith. Where Rasulullah says, Allah has a veil that veils his light. If that veil is removed, the disclosure of Allah would burn everything it reaches. Burn it. You cannot handle it. You cannot tolerate even the light of Allah. It's not a burn like the burning of earth. It's from its imminence. We're not equipped physically to handle it. Right? So even Rasulullah when he was inserted in that realm, he was inserted into that veil of light, but not to the essence of Allah. That's what he experienced. <coughs> so it's not a normal experience, and he came back with it. But yet Allah describes, Rasulullah describes us, and Allah affirms it in the Quran, that the believers in Jannah, when we go to the next realm, Allah will transform our bodies that we're able to not only just see the veil of the light of Allah, but what else? 
the essence of Allah, Allah Himself. That will be possible in the next reality, in the next world. SubhanAllah. That's what this surah states. To take our imagination and dreams to that point, Allah says, when He was there, He couldn't take His eyes over away from the wonders He saw. You couldn't. You know when you're so captivated, you cannot take your eyes off? Rasulullah was so captivated by the experience, he couldn't take his eyes and his being from it. But he couldn't, he wouldn't go beyond the boundaries that Allah permitted him when he was there. Make sense? He was so respectful. He's in the realm of Allah. You know when you're in somebody's home and your eyes are everywhere? Right? To try to see beyond what you've been permitted? It's not cool. It's not good. Rasulullah, in the realm of Allah, his eyes were mesmerized, his heart was mesmerized, overwhelmed, but still his eyes wouldn't go beyond what Allah permitted him. Out of reverence and respect for Allah. And we understand that he had a conversation with Allah. Conversation with Allah, and Allah gave him what in that conversation? What did he give him? So Allah took him all the way up. After all that suffering, to give him salah. And he came down with salah to share with Allah. And that's why the scholars say the salah is the mi'raj of who? The believers. That if you want to be in the same place spiritually, spiritually with Allah, that's how close Allah is, go wash and do what? Salah. That when you put your head on the ground, it'll because you're now rendering yourself as a servant of Allah, Allah will make you rise to that eminence and that place. But you're going to be in it spiritually. And by Allah, there are those who are so present in their salah, so present in their salah that they feel that Allah is there. They feel it. It overwhelms them. There is a disclosure that happens to them in their hearts. In their hearts. You cannot see it with their eyes. But the disclosure is happening within their souls and their hearts. They're already taken up. Taken up. Even when they're here. Allah says, but one day I'll take you physically there. Like Rasulullah And that's why Allah took him on the journey of the Mi'raj to remind all of us it's real. You're going to witness this. Is this what you're going to aspire for? Or are going to aspire to fulfill your imaginary thoughts and dreams? Make sense? So in the next section, Allah now takes us back to lowly earth, to sorry earth, after all this imminence, and it says, you know, after you've been through like uh, the most mesmerizing spot on earth, like oh, breathtaking beauty, you went to whatever New Zealand and Hawaii or Switzerland, <coughs> it doesn't matter. You went to just amazing places. You went to Kaaba, and then you know when people go to Hajj, and they come back, they're like, oh, as soon as they land in Dallas Airport, like, oh, after these long lines we had at Hajj and. The glory of Hajj, you're like, oh my God, here we go again. Right? Always happens. Always happens, like a descent. After all this, the greatest signs, glory, imminence. Allah's giving us a glimpse of it, and suddenly He says, Have you seen Latin Uzza? What's Latin Uzza? The idol, the, 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 the god, the mini gods, the idols that the Kuffar of Mecca created, made. Like, oh, why are you taking me there now? Makes sense? Allah to reminding us, this is what you created. He says, have you seen that? That these idols made of rocks that they made? These are the greatest gods they made. 
these are the things you're gonna, this is what your imagination can come up with compared to what Allah just described. This is sorry, the sorry behavior of the human being when he's stubborn and he's rebellious. He starts to invent his own thing. Then he says, Allah says, He says, Oh, and, and this whole thing that you created also out of your whim and imagination, male and female, and you say that you have the sons and the angels are the daughters of God. Who came up with that? Your imagination. That you're even declaring you said God has children, and then worse, worse, you blaspheme by saying God has children, and you blaspheme by saying God doesn't even deserve the good children, we're entitled to the males and he has the females. Because they look down on females. And he said, well, females are inferior and God has them. Who would come up with that but a delusional person? And Allah says, in here, Allah, these are nothing but names. You know, I, I look at a cup and I say, hmm, uh, Boo-boo God. Boo-boo God. I just can't call it boo. Now, I bet you if I'm like believable a little bit, some people will say, oh, boo. It's great boo, right? He says, it's just a name. Who was not God? That is not God. Earth is not God, right? Um, the, the sins of this earth are not pleasure. You're calling them pleasure, but they're not pleasure. Nakedness is not freedom. You call it that. So these are nothing but names, but who instigated you? Who misled you to call them that? Shaitan. The shaitan doesn't alter reality. But he will call it different names. He'll say, earth is paradise. Enjoy it. Right? Isn't that what he say? Enjoy it before it's gone. Live it. It's a name. It's not reality. This is not Jannah. So when we call it something with a false name, we start to worship it. We will stop worshiping concepts because we gave them new attributions and they're false attributions out of the imagination and the ones of that. So Allah reminds us these are nothing by names, but you're following nothing but doubt and 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 um, uh, a women desire. Whatever your souls are desiring, that's what you're going after, but you're not even being real with yourself. And Allah Azzawajal now goes into the next section. And um, gives us, inshallah, I'll quickly go through this. Um, one second. Okay, one second. Okay. So Allah Azza wa Jal, uh, in verse 34, <clears throat> he gives us a glimpse into a story of a man. His, his name is Rawid al Walid ibn al He says concerning him, he says, here are your examples. Allah's giving us an example of what these human beings have done. He says, look at the best of you. The best of them were the chiefs of Mecca. And one of them, his name is Abulid ibn al-Mughira. <clears throat> he says, this is what this man has done. He says, have, now, have you seen the one who turned away from the guidance of Allah and gave little and withheld more? Does he see the unseen? Or was he not informed of what was in the scriptures of Musa and Ibrahim? Right? What is he talking about? Here's what human beings can also, how far they can go with their ludicrous behavior. al is worshipping this life, worshipping his idols. So he thought, now he heard about the, this, you know, 
Allah, God, and the next world, he doesn't want to let that go. They still have some belief in that, but they don't want to surrender to it. So he came and he was bargaining about that world, bargaining about it. So he brought a poor man and he said, hey, listen, I'll give you some money. Because he understood he had sins. And he's not to stand in front of God and have to answer for his sins. He wants to enjoy his life. But he's still scared. So he said, listen, listen I'm going to give you some money. Take some money. If you take some of my sins. The guy is so delusional, he really believed that. Like, and what he really believed, he can actually bring anybody, invent it, out of his desires, right? Hmm. I'm going to bring um, my son. I say, hey, can you take some of my sins? And really believe that that bargain is true. And he agreed with them with a contract. He says, I'll give you this amount of money if you take a portion of my sins. And you know what the poor man did? He said, I'll take it. I'll take it. Right? Because they're all like following false beliefs. It's like, why not? If you made up something right now, I'll make up in my, I'll make up in my mind that it's real. Sure, I'll take it. But I'll take the money. And I'll take some of your sins too. Because he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't care. Guess what the Walid did? And Walid was so dishonest, he believed in his own bargain, but he was so stingy, he gave them some of the money and did what? They didn't even give him the rest of the money. So Allah, what is Allah saying? This is the one that you're gonna follow? Who wouldn't even uphold his own promise and then make bargains about the heavens and about spiritual matters that he has no access to, have you lost your minds? Then Allah says, and then he goes in the last section of the surah over the jewels of wisdom from the other teachings. He says, isn't it better for you, instead of following these desires, these false bargains, to follow the guidance and the wisdom that is in the Quran, that is in the scripture of Musa, and from the teachings of Ibrahim who fulfilled his promise? How about those great people to follow? Does that make sense? It's a contrast between Ibrahim, Musa, and Al-Walid. Shouldn't he be following these people? And Allah gives us a glimpse into some of these teachings, including this. Fundamental teaching throughout all the scriptures of Allah that no soul shall carry the burden of another. You're responsible for yourself. What else? That your striving shall be seen. Allah promises you, you will see the consequences and the fruits of your striving. That you come back to Allah for sure. All the teachings of Allah come down to this. You shall meet Allah, and Allah teaches us about Him. It is He, Subhanahu wa Taala, who makes you smile, laugh, and cry. And it is He who gives life and death. And it is He who created the male and the female from nothing but a clot. And that it is upon Allah to reconstruct you. He's going to make you die, he's going to put you together again, and he's going to make your wives to meet Allah, and it is him who gives wealth and satisfaction, and he's even the Lord and the master of the stars that you worship. Does that make sense? So Allah giving us a glimpse into him in that last portion, and then at the end of the surah he says, After all of this, the imminent one is coming. The imminent one, the day of judgment is coming, and it's racing, Towards you, nobody can disclose that day of judgment and unveil it, but Allah, no one can bring it, but Allah. From this, with this discourse, 
against this course, are you laughing? Allah is saying, this is no laughing matter. This is not a joke. This is a speech that you should be in awe of and listen to. And you're laughing at it. Instead of crying over yourselves and your sins, and you're distracted in your vanities, then what Allah conclude, what does He conclude the Surah with? All the glorious description of the heavens, the place you and I can rise to. Compared to the petty earth, the idol worship, summed up in one verse at the end. You want there or you want this? What's the extent of your knowledge? Where do you take that knowledge? What is the ceiling of your wishes and your imagination? Either what Allah tells you, Jannah, to be with Allah, to go beyond Sadrathul Muttaha, or to get what? Do petty bargains on earth, right? Over little desires, over, you know, um, wealth, home, this, that's the extent. But if you want to rise to eminence, what should you do? Then prostrate yourselves to Allah, put your head on the ground and worship Allah. Surrender to Allah. And you shall rise like Rasulullah. Nobody can rise to this place, by the way. But you can similarly be ascended to the heavens. That's what's in such an incredible surah. Hopefully, it was an experience into that realm. And by the way, the journey of the Sun Miraj happened in what month? According to some narrations, right? And definitive. What month? Rajab. And then we are in Rajab. And I was so happy that we we're doing sort of the natural in the month of Rajab, right? Uh, one report is that it was on the 27th of Rajab, right? So here you are, Allah allowed us to get a glimpse of it. May Allah grant us that. May Allah fulfill um, our desires and dreams and imagination. May Allah make our dreams Jannah and to be in His presence. Allahumma ameen, Allahumma ameen. And by the way, this is the first surah that introduced a sajda. So there are many surahs that have sajdas in it. The first surah that contained a sujood in it, a command to do sujood, is surah Tanaj. So when Rasulullah recited it in public, it's the first surah that he recited fully in public. He recited it to everybody, and the companions were there. They all went and prostrated because it was a commandment. And if we're reciting the Quran, we would have, I would have literally prostrated. But this is a reflection and interpretation. We can look to it right now. Go make sujood. Asjudulillahi wa'abudu. You know, let's do it. Subhanallah. So mesmerized 
mm-hmm. with the rhythm of that, they went to subdue that class. That's true. That's true. And I was listening to Brother Anas this morning. He decided the first 26, and you feel you mesmerized. You mesmerized. He did it beautiful this morning. Unbelievable. Right. So I just wanted to see that, you know, the the three goddesses they have, Lat, Utsa, and, and Manas. I mean, how that they came up there, because originally in in, in Makkah, that area, was the, there are two people started the city, the Hajar and and Ismail Islam, okay, the Prophet Ismail. They were one, one, one atheists. I mean, they actually, the preachers for some time, they, uh, the oneness of Allah, God. But they would say, when the, when the society developed, there was a one guy named, I think it's uh, Amr ibn Hay. He went to Masham, and then he saw people worshipping, you know, idols. And he's the one, actually, who brought the idol from Masham and introduced the, to the Arabs at that time. And that's where the, those, those idol worshippers polyasis started at that time. So, uh, originally, it was a monotheist society. It was not a kind of uh, uh, anything about uh, multiple gods or goddesses and all this kind of stuff. And that, that So, that happened. The people evolved into things. People tried to believe in material because they were thinking that this concept of God they have to have some possession. They have to have some material kind of things. You know, if you, if you remember that, but he's like, we'll keep asking Musa al-Islam, show us the God. We need to speak to him. We need to talk to him. We're not going to believe unless we see him. Who is the God of that? So same concept was there that people really carried away worshipping idols, piece of the stone, because the material is a possession. Although they cannot talk to this person, the person cannot tell them anything. Uh, and, you know, cannot teach them. The teaching is coming from, from Allah, but, but they were the time, yeah, the materialistic you know, approach to have some possession in front of you. Right. You know, this is very important. Um, you know, the beauty of our faith, one of the strengths of our faith, that we need to really be proud of and communicate to our children and the younger generation, is is the the profound um, emphasis on authentication, on truth, on sources. Investigate your sources. It's a very scientific approach, methodology, very real. It it doesn't accept, doesn't have space or room for any conjecture, any doubt, whims, and imagination. So look at, look at, like when we study the historical roots of this, even you stand and say, what did human beings do? But yet we do it all the time. Out of these desires, again, because we have it, Allah says, is this your desire? You think you're going to get your desire? I desire to make God physical, right? So I'm going to make one to make me feel good about myself. Allah says, you're not going to attain your desires. It's not God, right? But here's what, here's why it's dangerous and important for us to understand this. I saw about a week ago, yeah, a week ago, last, sorry, last Monday, I met a man, a young man at the University of Maryland. I was at an event uh, for a disability. And believe it or not, but it's, it's really sad. There are many people, uh, even in the Muslim world, and in here in America, disabled people 
mentally or physically who are killed by their families. Do you know there are thousands of people who have been killed? We don't know about it. Really. Like that's why we're like we are selective in terms of what we want to support in our lives. We forget about marginalized, you know, people who are really in desperate needs, who are suffering, killed. So it was an event to honor them, reflect on their lives, and just to speak about the issue. So I met a man at the end, young man who spoke so beautiful, beautiful. Well, like it was a small crowd of students that came. I spoke at the event, and then he made a comment afterward. I'm like, wow, now does that touch me? Just beautiful wisdoms coming out of his mouth over struggles, over love, over affection, over mercy. I'm like, how often do I hear it? How rare do I hear it from young people? Because they're busy. They're occupied. So I'm like, I got to talk to them. So I spoke with them. We, we hung up afterwards for probably an hour and a half. And I noticed, I looked at him, he's just so muscular. Like, probably six foot two, muscular body. But then I looked down. And I saw he had an artificial mic. So I sat him down and said, you know, tell me who you are. I was really blown away about what you, what you said. He had a smile on his face. And he described his story and he said, you know, he's from Bethesda, by the way. See, I grew up in Bethesda. My father's Moroccan. My mother's Jewish. And I'm like, blown away. And he had a last name that is Muslim, too. Um, no, Arabic, sorry, not Muslim. There's no such thing as Muslim name. He had an Arabic last name. But anyway, continuing on, we're talking, and I said, you're, man, you're blessing me today. You're like, wow, God sent you to me as a blessing because I learned so much from this young man and his strength and resilience. He described to me how he lost his leg. It was a horrible accident, right here, local. And the, his friend in the car, his girlfriend, I think died in the accident. And he lost his leg. Can you imagine the trauma? He said, I went through a lot. I, I had strokes, and he was older, like in his early 20s. He said, I went through hell and back. And, but I pulled myself through this because I'm I'm an athlete. I'm trained to get myself out of difficulties, and I put all my energy into getting out. And I'm standing here, and I'm I swore that I'm gonna dedicate my life to serve, you know, to serving good and helping people. But then when I asked him, here's where I was going with this, and, and and forgive me for taking along on this, but it really touched me. I said, you know, may God bless you. I, I mean. Ask for him, and I mentioned God for a reason. I wanted to see how he'll respond, right? And he was smiling. He's a very gentle soul, very respectful, because he, he enjoyed the company and the conversation. We both enjoyed it. And he said, I said, listen, do you believe in God? I just don't want to be offended with you. He's like, no, I don't. I said, then what do you believe then? He said this. He said, no, no, I believe we're all like made into this by this energy, this this energy that made us is bigger thing, bigger being, and so beautiful, perfect. And I said, mm, oh, beautiful, man. I like, keep telling me, talk to you more. I said, yeah, yeah, what you just described is what I call Allah, God. He's like, no, 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 I don't call it God. I said, tell me why. He said, no, 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 I don't follow all that. Yes. And then he started mentioning to me, he said, no, this whole thing about Jesus Christ, literally, he said, Jesus Christ being God, Son of God, these things that human beings come up with, no, 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 it's, I can't. But that's not what God is. He's like, what do you believe in? Right? All I did was to speak of the perfection and the transcendence and the beauty of God that he is not material. He's perfect. And it was like, I, I just delved into it. It's like, well, lie, I love for this. It's like, I learned something. It's like, wow, can, can we talk some more? Why am I mentioning this? I didn't say anything new, brothers and sisters. Our children 
people of society are exposed to false ideas of God, so they reject it. It's horrible. Horrible. That's what we need to speak of, the beauty and the transcendence of Allah. He's not these things you made. That's why people reject religion. He was detesting when I heard him. He hated religion. He's a good man. But then still believes in something bigger, but he doesn't even want to call it God because of what people have done to God. Make sense? That's why I emphasize our message to people, brothers and sisters, and the reminders to our children and people around us. They need to see us showing that light, first of all, very important. But also, when we speak of Allah, to speak of this beauty and perfection and differentiation from the creation. Right? That's why Allah gave us his attributes of God. Barakallah for bringing this up, but I emphasize it is at the, it's at the heart of existence and why people reject religion and God. That's what they aspire for. That's what this should elevate us to aspire to being present with Allah. And Rasulullah was taken to that realm to witness, experience, see, feel Allah's life and presence. It's like, and, and just to reflect on this is sufficient to take us out of our miseries of this life and to make us aspire for something bigger. Barakallah for sharing that beautiful description. Let me go to the back and then I'll come front. One of the sections of Quran it says, 
So, so Allah hears beautifully again. Look at how he links it. The passage in which he describes it, Surah Al-Isra. By the Surah Al-Isra speaks of the first leg of the journey. The first part of the Surah of Isra speaks of the journey from Mecca to Jerusalem of Rasulullah. Surah Al-Najm in the first portion describes what? In one verse, two verses, the second leg of the journey to the heaven. Makes sense? They complete each other. Within Surah Al-Isra, then, Allah gives instructions to Rasulullah to rise. How are we going to rise to the highest point? So he says, worship. Worship Allah throughout the night. Worship when you get up in the morning. Surrender to Allah. Serve Him. Put your hand on the ground and Allah will take you up. But then he says, I'm going to take you to Al-Maqam Mahmud. Mahmud is praise. His name is Muhammad. The praised one. Mahmud is that which is praised in Arabic. So I'm going to take you to the most praised station. And it is said that that station is not necessarily the one in Siddhartha Muttah, like described by that experience, but it's a special station, the highest station that only one creature of Allah gets in the next world on the Day of Judgment and beyond. And it's given to Rasulullah. So Allah knows what it looks like. It's a station. I mean, it's 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 a spe- the most special and sacred spot and station. It's like the throne a human being can occupy, the highest. That special throne, station, place, given in Jannah, given in that realm, and it's only given to one person, it's Rasulullah And he told him how to even, of course he burned it already, Allah gave it to him, but he says, continue to worship, then I will put you in that maqam Mahmud. And that's why we ask in Salah for al-maqam al-Mahmud for Rasulullah. Ya Allah grant the maqam Mahmud, Ya Allah grant the maqam Mahmud, right? And may Allah grant it to him. I mean, I mean, Salah. So here the solar tarot, I don't know if they have rejected the the meditator or the, the, the star. The star is never solar actually. If you look at it, you know the star is the elevation. And this solar talk about the solar elevation. So sometimes I'm not sure what I want to always do with that form. Because in our comprehension, we can ask this way, how And then again, stars are. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave his son two things. 
one <coughs> is color, and the other one is the last two higher up, sort of butter. That often. Well, there's other narrations on, on what is said. No. In the, in the narration that plays about those two verses is that they were given from underneath the throne of Allah, revealed to Rasulullah and when they came to him, Rasulullah said, uh, a door had opened and a light came down. So it wasn't in Mi'raj. There's a, a narration on this where Rasulullah saw a light opening, like literally opening in the, in the sky and a light came down of the angels delivering the last two verses of Surah al But it came down, however, you're right in that they came down according to Rasulullah from under the throne, from a treasure under the throne of Allah. Last two verses. What is it? The two pearls from the throne of Allah. Yeah. The pearls, the two pearls of, of, of Allah, you know, and that treasure of Allah, and these two verses came from it. Special delivery. Not, not in the Mi'raj. Not necessarily Allah, Allah, not revealed in the Mi'raj. Without with Jibreel, everything came down with Jibreel, but they came down initially. They might have been coming down as a light, and then ultimately Jibreel communicates. They might have been carried even by angels. Doesn't matter, but ultimately Jibreel is there still. Jibreel communicated everything to Rasulullah and delivered the revelation to Rasulullah Make sense? Barakallah, very good question. Let go back. The surah with the word Amaju, which means any sitar. Any sitar, But in verse 49, he says, Wa Rabu Shahrush. So he describes a particular sitar. Yes, there is a person. So what is the connection? Very good. So, first of all, one Najm and Najm. The first of, there are many interpretations. It could be not star, a star, but it might have also been, according to some interpretations, a particular star that the Arabs were looking at and they descended. And when they descended, they were worried. Because when it rose, I forgot the name of it. Um, it might have been a shara, Allah knows. Right? Because that's another glorious star that they loved and adored, and, right? It's called shara. So Allah reminds them, he is the Lord of shara. But the first reference in verse number one is much more elaborate. Because he didn't say Shara, he just said the star. And he's inviting us to think of stars. Might have been Rasulullah is like a star. However, when he says descended, it fell, it tumbled, it's a contrast. Make sense? Because Revelation doesn't tumble. Rasulullah doesn't tumble. So he's telling them even that star that came down because you thought misfortunes will come to you, well, the misfortunes are coming to you. And Rasulullah and his message is not like the star that tumbles. He's a star that never tumbles. Make sense? He's a star, but it never tumbles. Unlike the stars that you see here, he's an even a greater star. Make sense? But it's not the Shara necessarily. It's much more elaborate. But they understood. He might have been referring to it. He's also referring to all the stars, right? But Shara is a particular star. Yes, it is a star. You just uh, they say it is only three times more, more luminous than the sun. More luminous than the sun. So, you know what uh, was it? Wow. So yeah, because it's more powerful, more luminous, so they admired it more, they adored it more, they thought it has more power. Allah's telling them, mm -mm, it's not a, it has no powers, right? Allah is the Lord of it. See, the message is, all these are Allah's creation. 
So, I had a different take on the name, and particularly the first verse, which says, "By the descending star." It seems to me that, uh, you know, given the context of the surah, uh, what was happening with the prophet, it seems to me the reference is more to what you see may not always be true. You see a star following, following. And you see my prophet in trouble on earth, uh, which allows you to say all these words. But let me show you what he really is. And so don't don't believe what you see in this world, what, what seems very obvious. I keep account of what is up and what is down. That seems to me a better way to think about what this surah is trying to say, why it's named the star. Supposed to, you know, every tour I've seen, you know, most of them are not about very specific things, they're about much broader things because they're meant to be read by people who are not following that crazy, uh, whatever the followings of the Arabs at that time was, right? This is meant for all ages, so I just think that it's better to, it's good to see the context. So you got to interpret it. So, Jazakallah, a beautiful read on it. It's your own personal beautiful read and insight. And that's the beauty of the Quran. It gives us that latitude. And the more we reflect, the more we derive. All our, all the above are right. It's not that one is more correct. It spoke to the Arab who understood it to be that star. And it spoke to the contemporary man in the 21st century who doesn't see that. And it's open. That's why he didn't call it with a name. See, in the other verse, he called it with a name. You're absolutely right. It's much more elaborate. And you know the interpretations of it are numerous. I just cited a couple to put it in context, but also, subhanAllah, here we are. I don't know. It's like, I love what you said. SubhanAllah, yeah. Even Rasulullah. I mean, it's what you Did you guys pay attention? It's like, whatever you see, it's like rise or fall. It's Allah determines that. But even when it, 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 when, even when it descends, Right? It's going to rise. It's like Rasulullah it looked like he was also in a point of descent, but he was ascending. Like the star and greater. I love, I love, deeply appreciate what you said. So all of them are possible, depending on the mind and the intellect and the human experience. And it's wide open. Jazakallah khair for, for sharing this. By the way, the word hawa, it doesn't, poor translations, it doesn't mean descent. It doesn't mean calm down. Hawa is like tumult. How like in Arabic we don't describe, we describe it as something we really like fell suddenly, abruptly, and into something bad. Right? It just right. It's not just all oh, slow descent, just retreating, or no, it's not like that's why it's like a powerful word, very powerful <coughs> word. So um, just to further the picture, so like a Chavez, let's wrap up with Chavez. Um, so. I'm all for rationality and deep in study of the sun. Like everybody knows me, I'm all into like philosophy and deep study and stuff. But um, this surah in particular kind of scares me because it kind of calls out people like me. Like I know in this context it's referring to disbelievers, but it kind of called out uh, the hypocrisy of the pagans when they tried to find objectivity and truth through their own mind and reason. Um, 
So, for instance, with the whole Allah and Al-Buzza thing, you know, Allah is the feminine of a Ilah, or like Buzza is the feminine of Aziz, of right? Um, and like they ascribe daughters to Allah. It's like, oh, you know, we respect Allah too. It's like, you're the people who bury your daughters alive. You know, you, you know, you don't respect women, and yet you're ascribing daughters to Allah. I think, you know, Allah respects women. Um, so not only exposes the uh, limited scope of their rationality, it exposes the hypocrisy of their rationality, and that they're only expressing their desires and their uh, their nafs, basically. Not, if they're not searching for truth, they're just projecting, right? So the reason I bring that up is because, um, you know, when we try to do deep reflection, into Islam, or we try to find truth through rationality. You know, inshallah, we're all trying to do it through pure intention, right? But because of, you know, the hedonistic culture we live in, it's very hard to determine whether our search for truth is, is actually a search for truth, or we're just confirming our own interpretation, or confirming our own urges and desires and our nuts. So, you know, that's my struggle too, especially it's like, how do I know I'm really searching for the truth and I'm just not confirming something I already believe or confirm my urge or desire. So I guess my question to you is, uh, I don't know how long you can answer this, but uh, how do you purify your intention so that you're actually searching the truth for Allah and not just you know, what you want? Let's wrap up with this inshallah. Okay, inshallah. Share life together. Um, well, this is not it's limit. It's it's we're incapacitated. We're not capable of arriving at truth without Allah. We're not capable of purifying ourselves without Allah. We're not capable of anything. And we can easily fall victim to what our whims, desires, imagination, as you described. Even in the search for like um, objectivity and feeling like we have reason, we still can get entangled and ensnared by our own thoughts. Is it true? Because of ego. So how do you purify the ego, like ourselves out of the ego, out of impurity, out of uh, out of uh, also uh, just women desire in general? How do I separate the two? Purify the intention cannot be done but with Allah. So Allah said two couple of things: worship of Allah, devoted worship of Allah, humility, prostration, dhikr of Allah, right? Association with people who remind you of Allah humbly, not people of ego, and asking Allah for it. So Rasulullah used to say this, for example, Allahumma alhimni rushdi wa'aibni nishari nafsi. He used to make, imagine Rasulullah used to make this dua, Ya Allah grant me sound judgment and purify me from the evil of my nafs. Can you imagine Rasulullah begging Allah, Ya Allah, purify me of the evil of my nafs? Evil, Rasulullah, nafs, urges? Also, yet he was doing it. To teach all of us to constantly, like before we speak, that's what we're supposed to say, Bismillah. Notice our activities should be preceded by the mention of Allah, included with Alhamdulillah. Why? To continue, continue to attribute everything to Allah, but to continue to ask Allah, Ya Allah, purify me, Ya Allah, before I say the word, Guide that word, seer that word, guide my thoughts. It's the worship of Allah and the devotion to Allah that allows the heart and the mind to be humbled and purified. It's a process. So it's not just um, a wish that can be just attained to reach that purity. 
Some are like naturally just more inclined towards objectivity, uh, you know. But overall, we need a lot even in the process. Of course, but I mean, I guess what I'm more referring to is sometimes people try to justify their desires and their nafs through a lust. So you ever heard of this term like fatwa shopping? You know, where it's like you use religion. To sure, sure. A lot of the religious people in general, a lot of the people who kind of cling on to the uh, um, kind of the, the the surface of the faith, often does not engage, engage in spiritual discipline. Engage in spiritual experiences with Allah. They don't. I'm, I'm just being honest. Like, yeah, yeah. They don't. They don't have that time with Allah to devote themselves in worship and adoration and mention of Allah and remembrance of Allah and dhikr of Allah and salah on the Prophet continuously. All these things that really Rasulullah even Allah said in the Quran, it purifies you, takes you from darkness to light. So they're clinging on to only the rituals, the surface of it, and there's an appearance of religiosity, but there is no depth to their relationship with Allah. That's why they start. Turning even as some of this conversation, the religion becomes a god. Even the religion itself becomes a god for them, a stick with which they can beat others. Because you know, Allah described that in Surah Al-Baqarah. For people who are very religious, religiously knowledgeable, that they lack faith. Lack faith, and what have they done with the revelation, the scriptures? They've ravaged it, right? They distorted it, and they misled people because they were not honest and they never sought God. They were very materialistic. They never took time to worship Allah with humility. So it takes a lot of humility, a lot of time and devotion with Allah. Intense, I would say. And the greater our efforts with Allah in worshiping Him, the more that He purifies the soul. By the way, this is why even Ramadan is coming. To really start just cleansing the soul of the of life. Because even when we're worshiping, it doesn't necessarily mean it's real. It's like intense devotion and community and association with those who can remind us and teach us. Yeah. I bet you a lot of the people who do this are not also mentored, guided. They're on their own. Yeah. But when in the company of the righteous, of the teachers, of, of, of we can have a direction. Mm-hmm. They humble us, they remind us. Does it make sense? Right. So yeah. that's why it's essential not to be in our own as well. Barakallah fikum. So, so I just want to say that, you know, human beings need the guidance all the time. If somebody, right. says, if somebody says that, you know, <clears throat> Don't tell me anything, and I know everything, what I know, what I know, okay? So that they worship their ego, basically. Look at that. Because by nature, we need a guidance all the time. Our level of Imam changes all the time. So we have to be constantly, you know, improving ourselves and, and, and getting into the real truth of the religion rather than, you know, you know, creating a boundary. I know everything what I know. Right. Uh, exactly. so, so that's beautiful. The boundary again. You see, even this effort, these mornings, when you're engaged in serious study of the faith, of the word of Allah. By the way, all studies devoid of the word of Allah, they're not going to take us anywhere. They're limited and bound. Even knowledge, right? So the more we deepen our understanding of revelation, I think the more it can humble us, combined with spiritual worship. though, Not just study of the revelation academically, about deep reflection, right? The more that it can expand the scope of our understanding and shows us our limitedness, and hopefully it can start to purify. Does that make sense? It puts us in our place, so to speak, but without knowing our place because we're stuck, we're like, I know what I know, and it is everything, then we'll never know, and then there's a ceiling, and we'll always be challenging and rebelling and arguing. Right. Uh, 
So it's encouraged. It's encouraged. There's nothing obligatory. It's a month uh, that Rasulullah clearly loved and loved to worship more and in preparation for the month of Ramadan. There are many ahadiths on it. Many of them are weak. Some are fabricated. But nonetheless, increasing virtuous acts and fasting more in this month and in the next month is how can you say no to that? But it's not obligatory. You have to be very clear about it, whether it's, it's not obligatory, but we're highly encouraged to do more in this month. In the next month, to prepare ourselves for the month of Ramadan. And the rewards are multiplied, inshallah, in these special weeks. And don't forget to give, inshallah. Because even your zakah, well, I'm going to encourage you, brothers and sisters. We sometimes think, I'm just going to give my zakah. Well, Allah will reward you based on your intentions. Give your zakah. And don't forget, the masjid is one of the most worthy of your zakah. People have misunderstanding about this, right? They say masjid is not recipient of zakah. It is. And it's the most needed because without it, we cannot even have community and teach each other and remind each other and sustain each other. Allah will be lost in this world. So inshallah, even you can take out your zakat earlier or portion of it. Don't forget this message. A brother is matching dollar for dollar up until April 22nd. 22nd, right until the last day before Ramadan because he wants to encourage people. May Allah bless him. Dollar for dollar up to 50,000. Allah will be happy like, all of us should be happy. We get into Ramadan and we got like, alhamdulillah, $100,000. Because if we collect $50,000, he's going to match it dollar for dollar. Please, Rajab, getting close to Allah, rising to eminence. Please, inshallah, brothers and sisters, give out, inshallah, from what Allah has blessed you with. We need it to run this, this masjid. Inshallah, expand it and may Allah reward you. And this is the month of Rajab. So it's glorious. Don't wait until the month of Ramadan. Wallah, Allah knows when we'll leave. So if you're able to give it out right away, inshallah. Barakallahu feekum. May Allah accept and bless you. As Allah is there to make us rise to imminence. As Allah to join us with Rasulullah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As Allah to relieve them, the suffering of our brothers and sisters across this earth. And to make us among the compassionate and merciful and the just. Allahumma ameen, Allahumma ameen. Wa salli dhamma ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alayhi wa sallam. Don't forget salatul duha, inshallah.